Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Francis Valentine, the founder and CEO of the Mind Lab and Tech Futures Lab. And oh, this is such a cool conversation. We're talking about technological advances, the need to continuously learn, and skills that leaders need to develop, and so much more. Lots to learn. You're going to love it. Thanks for listening. And by the way, before you go, it would be so awesome if you would go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and left a review for the podcast. Could you do that for me, please? <laughs> Thanks so much. Have a great one. Enjoy the show. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Today I'm talking with Francis Valentine, founder and CEO of the Mind Lab and Tech Futures Lab. A well-regarded and recognized technologist and educator, Francis has been focused on the future of work and the development of human capability for the duration of her career. She has a life mission to uncover the potential in anyone she meets. If you have a conversation with Francis, you'll come away buzzing with inspiration, confidence, and optimism for what lies ahead. Every day, no matter whether it's a keynote speech to corporate, government, education, or social impact audiences, designing new future-focused learning programs, advising the boards and not-for-profit organizations she's involved with, or supporting staff around New Zealand, Frances is always thinking about how to create impact. Not for herself, but to enable others to find it in themselves. Her door is always open and there's nothing more than she loves to have a good natter about life, kids, culture, and whatever else comes up. In recent years, Francis has built up the Mind Lab, started in 2013, and Tech Futures Lab in 2016 to provide learning pathways for educators and professionals to not just participate in, but have substantial impact for the technologically driven future. Everything she does is about supporting people, businesses, and organizations to understand the impact of emerging technologies and the cultural adaptation required to embrace change and build that impact. Francis sets the tone for the two organizations, one of lifelong learning, openness, awareness, and inclusion. She has a passionate belief that a flexible mind that fosters an ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn is crucial as new information, improved data, and more advanced science and technology shapes our understanding of the world around us. Aside from her business acumen, she is also a naturally talented creative. The HQ for the Mind Lab and Tech Futures Lab is a great example of what is going on in Francis's mind in between the more serious conversations and tasks. 
Francis earned a Master of Education Management at the University of Melbourne and completed the executive program at Singularity University. Francis has been recognized as a New Zealand Companion of the Order Merit for Services in Education and Technology. She is a New Zealand member of the High Tech Hall of Fame and 14th recipient of the New New Zealand Flying Kiwi Award, recipient of the Peter Blake Leadership Award, recipient of the CIO Award for Outstanding Contribution to Technology and Business, winner of the Women of Influence Award for Innovation, and winner of Woman of the Year for Education. What an awesome background, and this is going to be so cool. Francis, thanks for joining me today. Say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone, and hi, Stephen. Great to be here. Well, it's great to have you here, and uh, I got a lot of questions to ask you, and I got to start with this one. You have a focus on technology and learning. Can you talk about where this came from? I have to say it wasn't planned. Uh, it, it certainly wasn't something I, I went into high school thinking, gosh, I really want to be in, in education and technology. I actually grew up on a small rural farm. Uh, and very, very far away from technology. But I had a, a real tinkerer's mind. You know, I love to kind of create things and problem solve. And at the age of 17, in the very late 80s, I headed to London on a one-way ticket, so very young. And it was really at the beginning of uh, the really uh, computing and technology was all around me in London. And when I was there, I was thinking, gosh, this is really going to change the way we think and work and interact in the future. So I delved into tech for the first time. And then education came later. I returned to New Zealand where I live and I realized that we were still not really embracing technology and education. And so I decided to kind of sandwich those two kind of worlds together and uh, bring them into my world. And I really, from that time on, since 1998, have been completely dedicated to education and technology. That's cool. And, you know, with that, I mean, you founder of different uh, different programs, different organizations. Uh, you're the founder and CEO of the Mind Lab and Tech Futures Lab, which is part of what we're going to talk about today. I mean, can you explain what their why is? I mean, why do they exist? What are they about? Yeah, they, they, they both exist actually um, very closely together. They're, they're not really decoupled particularly, but the Mind Lab and Tech Futures Lab are both graduate schools. So they are postgraduate studies for professionals. Uh, the average student for us uh, works full-time studies with us part-time at postgraduate level and the average age depending on the program is between 42 and 44 years of age so these are older more mature students who are grappling with change and their career heading off in different directions the difference between the two is the mind lab is typically people who work in impact areas often they work in government roles for education or health or social services maybe for -for not-for-profits or in areas like social enterprise Whereas Tech Futures Lab, people work for corporates and large organizations and for profit. So we split them out because it's actually quite hard to be talking cross purposes between us two. If you're you're driven by impact and you start talking about economic returns, it gets into a very sort of of strange terrain. And so we we separated them and said, okay, let's let students choose which kind of direction they want to head and and which, um, what are they motivated by uh, between the two brands. So they're very much interrelated though. We, We focus on people and future of work, digitization, technology, and then we think about sustainability, the environment, and leadership. So it's kind of all-encompassing. That is so cool. That's, I appreciate it. because because And actually, there's used a few words that I want to make sure that I, I ask you about, which is you're described as an education futurist. And so your programs are, are really showing and um, what you're all about. I mean, can you talk about what that means, being an education futurist? Yeah, I think that term was actually coined by Wikipedia, which, of course, people, it's self-curated by people who you don't know. So somebody along the journey called me an education futurist, and and it sort of stuck because people refer to Wikipedia. But actually, 
um, I think of myself really around just education and technology as a technologist. But the future piece is I'm planning to teach people for their future, which is the future of work. And we know that's changing. And so there's an element of education that everybody who works in education is a futurist because if they're not teaching skills for the future, then they shouldn't be teaching at all because otherwise redundancy is built in and you're going to have students leaving without the skills of today. So I think in a way, we're, you know, if you're in education, you have to be a futurist of some form. Uh, so you're making sure you have those skills and knowledge that you can share for the road ahead. I love that. I love that. Cause yes, cause if you're not, you're, you're so behind that uh, you're going to have problems uh, keeping up with uh, um, just some of the simple stuff that takes place. So I, I I like that. Uh, I think it's funny, though, that uh, somebody out there put it into <laughs> Wikipedia. Very nice. <laughs> Something you have no control of. <laughs> you got you to love that. That's good. That's uh, um, very nice. <laughs> you know, so, so let's get into some of these technological advances that are coming that may be more, more disruptive to business and organizations than what we're realizing or that you think are going to be disruptive. Uh, so what do you think? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. And look, there there are so many. If you take this moment in time, you know, we, we've got changes uh, economically. We're all facing huge inflation, interest rates going up. We've got um, a talent shortage globally, uh, people not understanding change and disruption. On top of that, we also have uh, obviously some massive impacts from the, the end of COVID. We have a war, uh, you know, right across the world, we have shortages of water and, and key resources. We've got places like Sri Lanka, which are in deep kind of economic turmoil right now because of inflation. We've got cities like LA having to think about having fully recycled, uh, reused water by 2025 because the water table has run out. Like we've got environmental challenges. So all of these things are impacting on us because it's not like the last 70 years, if we look back, for those who have lived long enough to see 70, I haven't done that myself, but a big chunk of that, it's been smooth sailing for the most part. You know, we haven't had really massive disruptive um, levers of change, and that includes the technologies such as artificial intelligence and and really understanding the predictive use of data and and really delving into some of these technologies which haven't even really hit yet, such as quantum computing, but they're coming and they're right just ahead of us. And so how do we as professionals navigate all this new changing landscape when actually we were taught using fairly traditional methodologies and, and our influences and, and, and models. And so all of the work we're doing is really saying, how do we feel comfortable adapting at such a rate of change, but also getting familiar with things which are so drastically unfamiliar that, you know, they might feel very natural to an 18 year old or even a, you know, a 28 year old, but actually by the time you're into your mid forties, all of this starts to feel a little bit like it's, a, a moving force, like a tsunami of change. And, and that's really what we're thinking and preparing our professional students for. Gotcha. That's awesome. And, you know, as you're listing those things, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a whole bunch there I didn't even think of right now that uh, um, are going to cause, you know, our lives to kind of go sideways a little bit uh, as we start trying to worry about them. And, you know, it's it's funny because there's any number of aspects right now. And one of the things that I think is funny is the number of different ways that you don't realize how much AI is being used out there. And uh, I used to like uh, like to ask guests uh, if they really think that AI is real or not. <laughs> and 
Wow, it's very real. <laughs> There's it, no question of that. Yeah, because yeah. I, I stopped asking that question after I realized how many different places it appears. But, you know, um, it, I mean, just the concept itself, you know, and I, what I like to do is go back to the 60s when they made, everybody was worried that their jobs were going to be lost by uh, um, the computers. Some of the computers are going to do something. And, of course, they were referring to AI, um, especially if you watch certain movies from the time frame and the computer computers to making decisions and stuff like this, but it was all science fiction then. And, you know, somebody looking at the time and there's plenty of books written by plenty of people at the time about how bad, I don't mean science fiction books, mm. but now but, it's become kind of reality. I mean, <laughs> well, it, it underpins everything we do. I mean, we use AI within our workplace for analytics all the time. I mean, it's one of those things that we, you know, we try to work out what people are going to think next or do next, even within education. And actually one of the challenges we, we have in the space of education is algorithms enforce people's points of view. So if you're doing research and you're using Google and you've got a very strong, whatever you're searching for in your private life is now influencing what you see in your, your work life. And so you get down a rabbit hole where, you know, you might have certain political views or you might have certain views on religious views or whatever it might be. And actually that now becomes bound to you through an algorithm and an AI and machine learning. And so what we have to do when we're teaching our students who have never, you know, my, the students that we teach when they last studied went to the library to do research. They didn't do it online. So actually it was much more random. They'd pull, pull a book out from the shelf they would do some peer reviews, they would do a literature review, and they would put the book back on the shelf. Now, of course, they do it from their, from their desktop. And so we have to teach them things like using in the Chrome browser incognito, which takes away your browsing history, so that when you are searching, you're not just getting things that reinforce your existing view of the world, but actually views from other people and from research that you wouldn't necessarily see. And so we don't necessarily think about AI influencing our decision-making process, but it's very, very prevalent in the way we think because actually everything we do online has been captured. And so, you know, we, Google knows a lot more about us than we know about ourselves. I, I, <laughs> so it is a challenge. And so how do we how do we teach students that? Like that's a, a real challenge for students that actually if, if they have a very strong belief or they're worried about something, then actually they could get so deep into that spiral of, of everything they read reinforces that view. And it could be a conspiracy theory. It could be a radical view, or it could be actually a very dated or out, you know, sort of outmoded, um, a different modality even of how people think today. So if a teacher is listening to this, you know, it's like, how do you teach your students that actually having, starting with a blank piece of paper that's not tainted by some form of algorithm or some form of artificial intelligence. Um, so that's just just one tiny example of, of throughout our day, you know, not to mention you know, Google knows exactly where I am right now, but also who's in the office with me uh, and who's still on holiday having a long Easter break. So, yeah. It's amazing. I mean, I, I and it, and just how much it's there. I mean, it's, just, I mean, from, from our healthcare to, uh, to goofy things that, uh, you know, you've never really stop and think about, but, uh, I mean, it's just amazing, um, like you said, it, influencing what you're doing. I mean, a certain very wealthy person who is trying to buy Twitter <laughs> um, is, <laughs> is an example. You know, he's you know he claims that uh, why he's trying to do it is is for free speech. That it's you know that its algorithm is too trying to 
send you their own direction of what they want, you know, and whatever the truth is, it's, it's just exactly what you just said, which most of us don't realize how, how much, you know, cause it is different. You know, if you're doing research in the library, it's going to, first of all, it's going to take you forever because <laughs> you're going to take a book <laughs> but off. It, but, it, but it definitely is unbiased, which is, mm-hmm. you know, part of the, the, the pursuit of, of new knowledge is, is trying to get influence of, of many different, uh, different people with different you know thoughts and, and uh, studies. And I think it's, you know, even if we think about how we buy on Amazon and you know, things that you purchase are influencing what you are seeing and also saying people like you bought something like this and you go, wow, I really do like those pair of shoes. How did, how did Amazon know that? And of course, they're using that on the based upon, you know, millions of data points of people just like me, uh, you know, who spend the same kind of money with the same size shoe and style and, and, and everything else. And, and so, or, or Netflix or anything else you're watching where it's saying, you know, th- th- what you see is a very different uh, selection of things to watch compared to perhaps your neighbor or, you know, a friend down the road. And, and, and we have to really understand that it's, it's really important and it's particularly important when you're making decisions in business, because if you are influenced by things that are just not the reality, you know, right now there is a huge force of change happening and there is a pendulum effect in, in life. You know, the, for every reaction is equal and opposite reaction occurs you know, if one extreme political party gets overthrown, it typically goes swings very steeply the other way. Likewise, if you know we go fully into consumption and consumerism, then we sort of come back the other way. And if you look across, you know, there's there's a sort of a, a righting of the wrongs in a way that happens, but that also comes with demographic change and different generations. And there's you know we have a generation Z or Z, depending on where you are listening to this, and that generation up to 25 years of age have a fundamentally different view of the world. You know, they don't aspire to have a a car, a house or a job for life. None of those things are aspirational. You know, they want flexibility. They want independence. They want to work on impact areas. They don't want the transportation. They want to have that so that it's, you know, less of impact on the environment. The ownership of a house is a a pipe dream for most of them because of the cost of housing. So all of these things change the way we think about the future. Now that generation happens to be the biggest generation ever to exist on this planet. And so there are 2.8 billion of these young people who are coming into our workforce right now, looking at jobs and they're saying, whoa, look at all these old people making really bad decisions based upon legacy views. And so there is this, there's a shifting that we have to accept as we get older and going, actually, perhaps some of our views are a little bit dated and perhaps some of them have been replaced with better information and new knowledge. It's hard sometimes. It's not easy to say when you go, what do you mean my son knows more than I do? <laughs> you know, so I think it's a journey that we have to go on. And I think every generation has it, but this particular generation have uh, just information at their fingertips and they are looking at the world through a lens, which is a little bit scary because there is a lot of uncertainty right now. So I'm an optimist and glass half full kind of person. And so I say, how do we navigate this with confidence so that we don't feel like we're on the back foot and it's happening to us, but actually we're leading change from the front. That's awesome. Cause you know, it's, it's funny cause you're so right. I mean, you think about, I mean, um, as a kid, my Saturday mornings were pretty much spent um, trying to see what was going to happen with the Pink Panther and Bugs Bunny and uh, and uh, a bunch of other things like reruns of the monkeys and things like this. And uh, you know, and uh, today, <laughs> yeah, that's literally you know the TV. Why do I want to watch the TV? I mean, they they got you know they got 
and I'm talking about the kids. They have they have whatever they want information in their phone or in their uh, you know wherever it's coming from, and it's just amazing to me how if they're not careful, they really may not pay attention because what we had to worry about were were the commercials that made it made us want that sugary cereal. <laughs> so true yeah and and look I mean you you think even back when I was growing up if the idea of talking to somebody I could watch you while we're talking on this podcast but I could see you on zoom in another country in a different time zone you know that was just you know science fiction and now we just you know we think about it as totally normal like let's let's talk to Stephen in in the US from Francis and New Zealand and, you know, and we, it, it, the whole thing we sort of forget because it happens gradually, a lot of this technological advancement, but actually that's now been just sped up to the point where it's exponential change. And that COVID has been a big part of that because we actually had to digitize at a rate to allow people to work from home and for businesses to stay open and to have commerce. And so online shopping increased and online interactions and digital signatures and approvals and people bought houses and online auctions. And we had to, everything had to kind of be supercharged with technology for the few years that we've been you know, pretty much in a sort of a limbo mode. And so we're now starting this year, 2022, with a supercharged technology foundation, which is gonna just enable everybody to keep moving faster unless you're on the other side of the ledger and you didn't do it and you didn't learn and you didn't take advantage of the downtime to, to get your head around what was happening, which now feels probably a little bit intimidating as things move ahead really fast. Yeah. Just the irony of it all today, I, I was talking to my technology cause I presented at a conference on uh, Thursday and Friday last week. And, and uh, I was talking to uh, my uh, technology director and, and I said, uh, please, I, I said, if there's anything you can like send my way, I don't want to be one of those people who, because I was on a Zoom call with someone who, you know, they, they really were like one of those commercials where they're going, is this on, you know? <laughs> and uh, um, and I, I'm like, please don't let me ever fall into that category of not knowing something about the technology at the time so that I can make it operate and work <laughs> the way it's supposed to. Because that, you know, that was in, a, in one of those things where they broke us out into into rooms and, and one of the people in there, I'm pretty sure was using a, a camera from the, you know, w- maybe went to the moon back in the sixties, you know, it's like, hey, we, <laughs> hello. <laughs> oh, but, dear. And, and the flip side of that, I had a lovely message this morning from a great friend of mine. Um, I'll do a name drop. His name is Tom Ageson and he's based in Santa Fe in New Mexico. And Tom is uh, 81. And he sent me an article this morning and the article is blockchain, cryptocurrency and DAOs. A DAO is a distributed autonomous organization inspiring Web3, Web3, um, Web3.0. So he's 82 and he's oh, sorry, 81 and he's sending me this from Santa Fe and I'm like, go you Tom. And nice. he keeps me informed. So there's this full continuum of people who keep learning, adapting and, and growing and learning. And then there are people who get to you know the age of sort of 40 and go, well, I, I've done my education. I'll trade on that for life. And, you know, not necessarily thinking about what age we might retire. I mean, I think the retirement age was great at 65 if you were going to live to be 70. But what if you're living to be 100, which is increasingly the reality for many of us, actually living 25% of your life or 30, 35% of your life after you stop having an income, that's a big ask. <laughs> so how do you do that? Like, so we have to keep learning. We don't really have a choice. Very much so. And this is, and so just as a note, I got to make sure I say this before I ask, because I got a question I want to ask you that really fits right there. We've done a nice little segue. The, uh, but, it, you know, it's, it, it is funny because if you think about 
So like right now you have this big push, which I don't know if I want to go there too much, but uh, with the, the, elect, the EVs, the electric vehicles, mm-hmm. and one of the things that uh, someone I was listening to the other day was talking about that a lot of people don't realize is that the more these vehicles come online, that they actually can do updates to them electronically. And so if they wanted to, they could charge you. <laughs> they could make the car, the vehicle stop working and then say, it's time for your update. <laughs> and, uh, you know, do you want to use it or not? And that, and, and that the possibility of where we're going with this is that the vehicle doesn't actually belong to you, that you uh, buy it. And I just thought it was interesting hearing these things because these would be so just kind of shattering my generation's brains because, you know. <laughs> I mean, well, in a way, so, I mean, the big disclaimer, I'm, I'm a Tesla driver and uh, I love my Tesla. And so I love that, you know, every, at least once a week, perhaps two or three times a week, I get an upgrade. So I get a software or a firmware upgrade. I love it when I have to go and get, uh, we have like a warrant system every year. You have to go and get your car checked to make sure it's roadworthy. It's all happens remotely with, with an electric car with the likes of a Tesla. And we have a very, very high Tesla uh, rate of purchase in New Zealand. We also have very high levels of renewable energy. So it kind of goes with our country and, and some of the values. However, it's a really good conversation to have because the same thing, you know, I have a, a, an iPhone and when I buy that, I expect it to improve from the day I buy it with new software and I can go to the app store, get new apps. I expect it's going to give me increased value. The only time I have to trade it up is when I, through ego, that I really say, well, I want the new one. Or secondly, because it doesn't have enough capacity for all the apps that I'm running. Now, I think of humans in the same way. Now, this is fairly kind of uh, controversial, but when you hire someone, it's like a new phone or they actually, you hire them for everything they knew and learned to the day you hired them. All the experience, knowledge, degrees, whatever they've done, the day you hire them, they're self-depreciating unless they're learning because actually there's no upgrade unless they're learning and, and evolving. So otherwise you're, you're investing more money over time in a depreciating, depreciating asset of a human mind. So actually part of it is saying, how do you make sure that your employer is investing in you so that you improve over time? So you have the upgrade and you, know, you get the firmware and the software upgrades over time. And so 10 years after you hire them or even two years after you hire them, they're in a new and improved version of Stephen or Francis. So, you know, I think this is part of it now. We, we are kind of this journey of ex- expectations of continuous improvement and the idea of having a car that you don't really own that you own the physical car but not the software that drives it i think is could be said today of a washing machine or a dishwasher or many things where actually if the technician says i can't fix that computer you need a new one actually we're at the same mercy for almost anything that's computerized because the software is typically downloaded off the internet into that machine and if they can't fix it, if it becomes uh, obsolete because the software is no longer compatible, actually, we only own the hardware. We don't really own the totality. It's not like the days of a mechanical machine where you, your washing machine had buttons and you know things that gr- gears and grinded and did things for you. It's actually now it's a fully software device in the same way that our fridges are. And you know, for many people, that's their toaster and their watch and everything else as well. So uh, I think it, it is just the reality of the world. It sure is. And it just, it just, like I said, I mean, it's, uh, um, I had a, a father who, uh, he may not know how to fix it, but he would attempt to fix it because he knew it was a machine and therefore it could be fixed. And so, especially with cars, he'd climb in there and, 
and mess around with that stuff. And so much anymore, I don't think you could even, you wouldn't even know where to start if you tried to mess with it. And there's probably a little button that warns somebody that, wait, you know, Steve Maletto is messing around with his Tesla now, and uh, <laughs> we need to stop yeah, him from absolutely. doing that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I and, and look, I, I, do, I do think there is an element now that, you know, it's almost now reboot is more the, the way you fix things than, than actually replace. You know, it's like, have you rebooted your, you know, your car? That's uh, which, which is, you know, this new world. It's definitely, definitely. So that brings me to what we've been talking around is, you know, the importance of every professional continuously learning. I mean, um, because we're talking about our regular world that we're going to have to learn a lot or, uh, or decide that I'm sitting here with my, my 19-inch TV with a giant tube in the back <laughs> or, uh, you know, I'm going to deal with the fact that this giant flat screen that's very affordable uh, updates once in a while. Um, what, uh, I mean, can you talk about the need for professionals to continuously learn? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where we've always had executives have access to the very best education you know they'll go off to do their executive studies at stanford or wherever they might go to harvard and and study or they might do sabbaticals when they go offshore and spend a you know a semester but actually for the majority of people in the workforce they do very little in terms of beyond maybe attending conferences or perhaps a self-interest program that uh, is, is really shifting now a couple of things are happening people are valuing two key uh, attributes in the workforce globally, as particularly in the Western world, so there's flexibility and professional development. They see that as the two biggest areas of investment. So actually salaries are becoming less important than this flexibility and this ability to keep adapting and learning. The, the, the reason we need to be more focused on learning today than perhaps 10 years ago is most of the people in their 40s and above are in some of their ultimate learning, sort of earning years. It's where they expect to earn the most. And they imagine by the time they're 60, it's going to be either less work or at a lower rate. And the reality is now that we have a group of people coming up behind in their late 20s and 30s who are actually more capable of transacting and working in this new world. They have this digital knowledge and skills. They've learned it on the job. They've learned it in their, their, their different institutes. And they're coming in and they're basically surpassing and racing by a whole bunch of professionals who just haven't done that. So unless you've got the luxury of working for yourself, and in which case you can decide the pace of change. But if you work for a company and they're trying to move into this digital world, which is pretty much everyone, then you have to think about what skills are you bringing and the reason we've really focused on these professionals in their 40s and 50s is that that group is at most threat because they could lose not only their livelihood, but their ability to get another job. Because actually, when they go to an interview and people are starting to talk in language they don't even understand and are talking about agile and you know, user experiences and user journeys and you know, machine learning and, and they, they're talking and, and they're suddenly going, I really don't know what you're talking about then it's going to be really hard to continue that expectation of continued progression in your career. You could either stall, your, your, your career could come to a grinding halt, or you have to go into a much lower skill job. And I think most of us you know, have this idea we want to keep maximizing what we do and having influence and enjoying our work for as long as possible. And so it's sort of saying, instead of having maybe upgrading the car this year, why don't we do a, spend a bit of time learning? Now, 
One of the great things about COVID, there is a good thing about COVID. Uh, the silver lining is education became completely democratized. Now every institute in the world teaches online. So you can study and learn from anywhere in the world. You don't need to be going to the local institute or the university down the road. You know, we have students from all over the world studying with us and yet we're at New Zealand Institute. We have people who are studying with some of the top universities in the world, but they are still working and living in, in the middle of Africa. You know, I think all these things have changed and also there's a lot more free education online. So it's about making the mental shift. It's a bit like trying to get back to the gym. At the beginning, it feels like an impossible task. It's like, a, you know, just getting going is the hardest part. Once we start to learn, actually, there are so many um, benefits, including your mood and actually feeling your self-esteem is tied to learning. There's a lot of research around confidence that comes from learning and feeling part of a conversation. And actually, at a time when there's a lot of people who are not feeling great, and we know that there is anxiety in the workplace right now with the, with the level of change and, and um, people feeling they're not sure where things are heading. This is another way of combating stress is saying, well, get at the forefront, get, get involved with this learning. And it doesn't really matter if you start with one hour a week or you're, you're, you're jumping in and doing 10 hour study a week. It's, it's really irrelevant. It's starting that journey and understanding that things are shifting and it's good to get involved. This is this is so awesome because it, it really talks to the idea that like what you were saying before is that, uh, you know, depending on your ages, that uh, you really could know so much more than somebody else. But even them, you know, in their in their 30s could end up needing to go. I think I got to find out more stuff because I'm, you know, the 20 year olds are burnt, breathing down my neck now. So, I mean. One of the things that uh, is this the type of stuff that they they learn by coming. I mean, it some of the people that are coming to you at uh, the mind lab or the tech futures lab to, to try and figure out, you know, how they can get yeah, so themselves back on track. A range of pro yeah, we, we do. We have a range of programs from very part-time, you know, a few hours a week, a couple of hours for 10 weeks, right through to master's degrees. And, and the, but they're all around things like technological futures or leading with a sustainable lens or thinking about, different technologies or disruptive technologies. There's a lot, so they're all about thinking, we have one around human potential, which sounds very kind of kumbaya and kind of crystal ball gazing kind of stuff, but actually human potential is around, and it's human potential in the digital economy. It's like, where is a human stay? You know, where do you fit when everything around you is digital? Like, what is it that the value you bring? Because I'm a really great believer, the, the strongest values we have is our, our connection with other people. You know, that's, that's the best circuit breaker of them all. If we can go and find interesting people and we can do things and we can achieve a huge amount as people, but we do live in this framework that's digital. So, so a lot of what we're teaching is sort of keeping humans understanding that they're a very important role, but they need to be thinking about things like problem solving and, you know, actually this idea of collaboration, how to work with others to solve problems faster and, you know, we are seeing changes. And, and again, I don't over kind of keep talking about COVID because we're, we're all ready to move on. But, you know, you think about how quickly some of the vaccines were developed now because of collaboration and technology and digital and the resourcing that we came into that. You know, if that happened across the problems we have around mobility or scarcity of water or the you know, rising oil prices, you know, we'll start to actually see problems being solved faster and, and more eloquently than if just one person or one country or just 
one team of people chip away at that. So a lot of it's about this, how do you collaborate and build relationships and actually integrate and adapt to technology um, while still being very much who you are and what you stand for and your individual rights as a human. So it's complex, but actually also very interesting. And, and if, if people like having, you know, big, bold conversations, they'll love this type of study. But for others, they'd rather, you know, the new school they learn might be going to become a potter and actually making beautiful ceramic bowls. It's not about what you learn. It's about the process of keeping the neurons and in your brain active so that you don't just become sort of trading on old brain cells that are not really, you know, they, they need to be replaced with new information. You know, it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, this is an audio podcast, but, uh, I have colleagues who make fun of the fact that in my in my picture you see file cabinets, <laughs> and they're like, "What do you use those?" Yeah, file you do. <laughs> they're like, "What do you use those file cabinets for?" And I said, "Actually, they're like they're like having a dresser in my <laughs> it's storage. <laughs> I put stuff in there that you know, I don't have files in there. I have uh, stuff that I don't have a place for that I need to to use throughout the day and stuff like this. But it is funny because even just file cabinets. I mean, I it, it's something. I mean, it's amazing that." Yeah, you know, the the way electronically we can we can keep this sort of stuff that uh, there's no real reason to do it this way, and uh, so anyway, I just that's what you had me thinking of yeah, here. And, and look, it's the same. I mean, we 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 are a paperless environment. So we don't have paper in our office at all, so everything is digital, and we don't have printers. So it's really it's really funny. And we also don't have USBs, so everything has to be filed transferred through digital uh, filing file sharing. But you know, you think about the days of the phone the landline phone or the old TV or the, the radio that sat on, on the kitchen table. You know, there are so many things that we, we have replaced and actually almost all of them we can are on our phone now. So actually if we only have a phone, we can pretty much do everything but wash our clothes with that, with that phone. And so, you know, that becomes our video recorder and our camera and our diary and in our radio and everything else and our podcast source, you know? So, so I think, um, Again, we, we sometimes don't see the change because it's subtle and over time we just phase things out. But we do need to be prepared that that softly, softly is not going to be the way of the future. The, you know, the law of accelerating return means that it's everything digitizes, it scales much faster. And you, know, you mentioned before, but, uh, and Elon Musk is a great example of that, somebody who understands how to digitize a sector one by one whether you like them or hate them, it's this idea that you digitize it, you can scale infinitely because the, all once you've built it, it's infinitely able to grow as big as you want with almost negligible extra cost. So that's the way, you know, so you, the car going back to that, you know, you build the physical car, but the software is one software for every, every single vehicle. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot to be said for digital in terms of making impact. Well, there sure is. I mean, that's, I, I, you know, one of the biggest things that I'm fascinated by right now is where the autonomous vehicle world will go. And I'm, and I was particularly paying attention to the, the vehicles that are um, the trucks and the, the things like this, because that's where I actually think that they're probably way before, you know, Steve is sitting in the back seat while the vehicle's taking me wherever I want to go. The, uh, I, I think you're going to see more of these other vehicles that can they can create a closed path that they follow and keep the other people like myself <laughs> who it can't predict away from them and then just totally disrupt that world because uh, I think truck driving is like one of the number one employers in at least in the, in in the United world. States. Yeah. In the world. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, and, and look, I think I think you're right. I think the long haul trucks, when they are once they leave the depot and they're driving, you know, thousands of miles, you don't need a driver for that, and you know they're already proving that. Although to say that there are now officially autonomous taxi fleets in Dubai, so you, there are legitimate now, no no driver seat, no no steering wheel, so that is a real thing. Um, but I do think we've got the long haul and the last mile will will also become automated. So when you do deliver your you know your product from Amazon and you're on Prime and it's, it's coming to you on a, on a you know a small robot with wheels to your front door, because again that's a really expensive that last mile is so expensive. So where there is cost benefit uh that those things would also change so you know this big cost savings and not having a truck driver or a risk the health and safety of a driver on a, a huge rig driving across the city or across the country i don't know if you saw last week it hit social media here which is very funny about in the u.s they pulled over a car uh for speeding there was no one in it and it was autonomous car and then when nice. they when the the police went back to the, their patrol car, the car took off and you know, it was all caught on camera. That's like pulling over an autonomous car. It was, uh, again, I don't know if it's a true video, it was rigged, but it was very funny. Uh, it's hilarious. That's <laughs> funny. I had heard about it. I, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I gotta, I gotta look it up. That's because that is funny. I mean, the thing takes it, off it and, and uh, you know, who do you give the ticket to? So <laughs> we'll find somebody on that end user part of it. They, uh, uh, very cool. So w- one of the things I got to ask you is, so what tips do you have for organizations looking to retool their teams um, to pr- prepare them for these changes that are going to smack them in the face if they're not careful? Look, I think the most important is to make sure you don't have a hierarchical environment where you've got all the decisions being made by people who have been in the business for a long time or that the, the oldest people in the group. This is a time where you really do need to bring in, you know, recent graduates people who have come from other industries who are younger and, and actually start asking them about how do they see the future? You know, I run many workshops where we say, okay, what, what is going to happen in the next 10 years, but what's the, what does 2030 to 2040 look like? We, we you know, we can talk about the, the statistics and the demographic change and the population growth, and we can predict that some of the climate impacts that are going to happen, but actually what is going to happen if you were in retail or logistics, or what if you were in tourism or you know, manufacturing and looking at some of the, those levers of change. So you're always having to think about that horizon that's more than five years away. So your business plan can't just be what happens next year and the year after, but actually what do we need to start investing in now so that the, the technology we have is going to be relevant and the infrastructure and the people are skilled to use that new world. And you, know, you think if you probably have been following at some level the rise of the metaverse, which is you know, this idea where we, we, instead of we're sitting here on Zoom having a podcast recording, we will be sitting in, you know, in a virtual room and my avatar might be, you know, I might be sitting there as Casper the Friendly Ghost and you're sitting there as a dinosaur or, you know, uh, you know, Captain, I don't know, whoever it might be, or Buzz Lightyear maybe in your case. There you go, there you go. <laughs> we have a conversation in a room. And, and, and so, you know, we, we're again shifting the boundaries. And so it's like if you were in any form of interaction, whether you're in tourism or hospitality, or retail, you know, you'd be starting to think about, do I buy real estate in the metaverse, which is not even real, but actually big brands are doing it. And, you know, which neighborhood do you want to live in? And, and actually it's like this fantasy world where people right now are spending millions of dollars buying virtual land in a virtual street just so they can open the doors to sell handbags. Like, so this is the type of thing you know, where we work with companies saying, how do you plan for that? Because if you look at the, 
the people who are already doing it, they're, in, they're spending a huge amount of time investing into the future. And actually, when does the the next tier, you know, the, the business that maybe has a few hundred people, not thousands of people, start to make the same investment before they suddenly find themselves unable to, you know, the, the retail store no longer works. It's not a channel to market anymore because so few people, people walk through and the cost of the real estate is too high. And yet if they haven't invested in e-commerce or they haven't invested in the metaverse, then they may find themselves out of business. So it's for me, it's always reminding people that we know within some certainty about some things we know will happen in the next 10 to 20 years. And they're all going to require new knowledge. And none of it's going to be legacy or sort of traditional you know, things that we knew from the past, it is going to be brand new understanding. And so are you going to rely entirely on a generation who's younger to do that for you? And in which case, how do you know when they're onto something that's great? How do you strategically go, well, Bob's got a great idea if you don't even understand the idea in the first place. So it's, it's really about depending on how much you want to learn. It's about making sure you at least understand the conversation that's been had so that actually it's not running away. It's not sort of like the runaway horse that you can no longer mount it because it's gone. And you're stuck there saying, what happened to the horse? Um, so, you know, and, and we've got, there's so many analogies around that with companies and, you know, the Nokia story or the Kodak moment. And, you know, there's so many, all, you know, we, blockbuster, you know, oh, yeah. you don't have to go very far for those who just didn't work it out. Or if they did, they didn't apply it soon enough. And they, the investment meant that overnight they were just like, well, it, business just died. It's crazy because like today I was listening to a story that was about exactly what you're talking about. Now, just as a side note, I had to make sure I was listening to the right thing because I'm like metaverse. Is that like the, that Marvel comic book? uh, We're going to (laughs) have Dr. Strange and Spider-Man together again. And I went, no, that's not what they're talking about. All right. And what they were talking about was that McDonald's, the corporation was going out there and, and buying their, their, you know, their identity in that world so that, and how the, the person who was doing the story explained it. Cause other than that, I'm like, what in the world are you talking? And then I realized what they're talking about. So if you were out there playing, uh, you know, you're hunting down the aliens and, or whatever you're hunting down in, in, uh, in some, you know, game or something like this, and there's a McDonald's that might actually be a McDonald's. You could go over there and go order a, <laughs> order a hamburger and a Big Mac and have it delivered to you if you wanted to. And I'm like, Whoa. Okay. So so it's the virtual world. You're ordering your McDonald's burger in the virtual world for a physical world delivery. That's wild. Yes. That's, and that's exactly what they're talking about. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. I think it might need be time to move away from that seated position after a while, but that's, that's pretty wild. Cause that explains a little bit more about, I mean, what, when you hear these things, what, what they're maneuvering, manipulating, what they're trying to figure out for their own future, I guess, I'm talking about corporations. So yeah, and if you look at the the rise in popularity of gaming, online gaming and esports with with youth, I mean, it's bigger than television and it's bigger than streaming media. It's you know, it's the place to go. That's a natural place. They're in these virtual worlds all the time, and they're connecting. They're talking in the real world with people they've never met, playing these games with their headsets on, and they're you know, there's they're having this conversation, forming teams. So they're in a virtual world, but they're actually still based in reality. And, and so I think, you know, we have to get around this sort of this metaphysical world, which is where it's going. And of course, Facebook renaming itself Meta as part of this whole move towards this metaverse. And apparently right now, if you want the premium real estate, you have to live in the same neighborhood as Snoop Dogg. Uh, you know, <laughs> so it's like, nice, you know, nice. and, 
<laughs> but look, I'm sure there'll be someone else who will kind of create a new neighborhood oh, yeah. somewhere and McDonald's will go, we have to be in that one too, because hey, look, it's Prince William and he's, he's you know, it's his neighborhood and it's going to hang on his crowd. So uh, where it starts and ends, I have no idea, but it's it's certainly something that's happening right now and, and some serious money's going into it. And of course, it's all tied to this whole uh, cryptocurrencies and, you know, NFTs, the non-fungible tokens and Binance Exchange and these new currencies on the blockchain, like, you know, I could sit here and talk to you a long time about this stuff, but actually this is, again, these are not new technologies as in they have been mainstreamed for quite a few years now, but it's the audience who uses them are younger. And, you know, we sit here and go, uh, how do we get a head around this? This must be new technology. And you'll talk to someone who's 25 and they go, what, where have you been? You know, we've been doing this for, for years and, you know, and I think Bitcoin for a lot of people was the first time they went, there's, there's a cryptocurrency? What is this stuff? You know, as opposed to really understanding the, the kind of where it came from and, and why it's going to impact into our future. The irony behind all this stuff is that uh, it's it's moving so fast because, you know, it, it, you got me thinking about a couple of things. I'll, I'll never forget when a kid moved into my neighborhood, we became good friends and uh, um, our our friend group became the same group and he brought with him this brand new thing from that they were playing in New Jersey, which was called Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, wow, this is cool. And this is all, you know, now you could, it, it can be all digitized or you can still do the, the board stuff. But beyond that, then in a few years after that, then suddenly they're like, uh, this will revolutionize the music industry. And it was a CD and, you know, and I'll never forget uh, how that just really took off. And, by the way, I'm still one of those who's like, yes, they've kept the LP alive. <laughs> but the, 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 the point is, is that, uh, you know, here's this weird streaming world where I don't get why people don't want to own a record, okay, or, you know, or a CD or physically own something that has artwork on it as opposed to, you know, paying to have somebody play in it for you all the time. And, you know, one of the things that this whole conversation with the NFTs and the 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 metaverse and all that sort of stuff that makes me think about is a book, um, you know, ready player one, which Spielberg tried to make into a movie. Um, made a movie, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he did. Okay. I, the movie's fine. The book's better, <laughs> but the, um, but the, the movie still makes the point, which is they're living in this world where they, they better, they rather interact with each other that way because you, you don't, uh, you know, cause there's, except for the bad guys in the, in the book, there's really no, problems in that world you just because you, you can make whoever you are and do those things well if you're in that world and you're able to order food and you're able to order stop by the the grocery store oh yeah before i forget i gotta pick up my groceries this week uh this today while i'm in in the game land oh my gosh i, I we're getting there so it's yeah, and i think what we have to understand too we think we want human connection you know, I, we, we want to go and visit our family and, and hang out with them or see our friends. But you think about the amount of coordination that requires today for, for a family to get together and, to, you know, distributed across countries or across the world, timetables, pressure, you know, all those things. You know, these young people can go, I can just put on my headphones and I'm back with a group of friends. You know, they don't have to travel anywhere. They could be anywhere in the world. We're all hanging out together. We're talking you know, they're talking sports and music and they're doing all these things. And, and, and when you talk about streaming music, it's really interesting. I have uh, four children between the age of 17 and 24, and they all listen to music through different streaming services. And so, you know, I use Spotify and they're like, mom, you're so old fashioned. Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, and, and, and it's so interesting. And, and my oldest son at 24, he's part-time, he's still staying at university, but his part-time job is he is an e-sport director. So he actually does the direction and the control of cameras remotely for global e-sport games where there are sometimes 40 or 50,000 people playing and sorry, watching an e-sport tournament. And I'm like, wow. how did you even get into that? Like, this is just, you know, like this is a different world. And he, he does it from inside uh, a building, which is owned by one of our largest entertainment groups who core business is actually gambling, like physical slot machines. So on right. one hand, they've got the traditional old school, and then they've got this e-sport kind of kind of stuff going on and directing it, and like it's it blows my mind. And and I'm you know I'm an education. Uh, what am I a futurist? <laughs> right, right, right. That's and you're going. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. there's so many things that are just kind of just whoof, blowing on right on by as they're happening, and uh, um, it's it's just interesting to to see all that. I I got to ask this because. One of the things we're talking about is we're talking about, you know, our staff and our, our team members and all that stuff. What about leaders? What advice do you have for them for the skills they really need to have in order to lead the people who are, who are on their staff that are going, hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing this eSport thing this weekend anyway? Yeah, and look, actually, interesting enough, last month I wrote my first book and it launched last month called Future You. And a lot of it was dedicated to leadership, like in this time. And, and a lot of that reason uh, we have to think about is this incredible flexibility as leaders. So if you are a leader today and you're, you're really thinking about how you work with multi-generational staff and there's five generations in the workforce in some environments today, then actually you have to have this flexibility to understand because if someone is coming to you saying, Hey, I need Thursday and Friday off because I'm directing an esports tournament, but I'll make it up in the weekend you know, you have to have that flexibility. I mean, I have now more of my staff, I have a hundred people on my team, more of them work four days a week than five days a week. And that, I, you know, a few years ago, I would have said, what do you mean you want a four day working week? And, and it's because they say, well, I've got other things in my life that I'm doing. And you know, I've got my side hustles and my family and I'm looking after kids or I'm doing whatever it might be, but it's becoming this norm. And, and I certainly think, that is one example within the next five years, there'll be a, a huge rise of people wanting to work four days a week, not 40 hours over four days. That's a 32 hour week, but paid pretty much as a 40 hour week um, because they're saying, well, I, I work harder and faster because I don't have all these sort of human slow processes. I can actually do things much more quickly. I can get through the work faster and I can do it at three in the morning if I want to, or, you know, eight o'clock at night but I'll get the work done. So those things will be interesting, but I think coming back to leadership, the key one will be is really understanding that you're not always going to be the smartest person in the room, uh, which again, is something as a leader, we're often taught that we make decisions on behalf of a lot of people, but actually the collective force of knowledge is actually going to be harnessed and need to be harnessed a lot more. Uh, and the decision-making will be distributed across different groups and expertise. And so it is about more you know, I always say as a CEO, I'm, my only job is to put out fires. You know, something comes, to, gets difficult or, you know, something gets a bit prickly, you need to sort it out. But actually the rest of the time, you, you, are, you know, you've basically got an orchestra and you're just trying to make them all play really well together. And if you do that and let people step up and play really well in the part they like to play, uh, you get the best out of people. And so it's it's quite a, a different, it's much more, in a way, much more passive, you know, it's, but not to the point of sort of being laissez-faire and, and not, but it's not that 
uh, sort of confident um, leadership or leading from the front in quite the same way. I mean, people are looking for a leader that's much uh, kind of more sort of part of the group as opposed to a charismatic leader who perhaps just kind of cracked the whip and said, this is the way we're going and follow me. Uh, I don't think as many leaders do that very well these days because no one knows where we're going. That's awesome because I think you're so right. I think you're so right. That's, that's cool. I, uh, Francis, we're getting ready to close, but I, I keep talking to you forever. This is cool. I, although scary too, by the way. Um, <laughs> it shouldn't be scary. It shouldn't, I mean, I know it's sometimes scary, but it's not scary if you know the answer. That's, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's learning. <laughs> it's learning. Exactly. I, you know, before we close, could you let everyone know where they could reconnect and learn more? Sure. So, so both of my organizations are online, obviously. So techfutureslab.com or themindlab.com. Uh, and then you can find me on LinkedIn. So Francis Valentine, I have a weird spelling. So Francis with an E-S and Valentine with an I-N. Confuses people. And reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Um, pretty easy to find. That is awesome, and I'll have those in my show notes so people can find it. And by the way, you snuck in something there for a minute. You said that you just uh, um, published your book. Did you want to mention I your did. book? Last last month, yeah, I do a plug. So Harper Collins, uh, very very grateful that they commissioned me last year to, to write a book. And the book is say it's called Future You, uh, and it is designed for people who are in that age between sort of thirty and sixty, something like that, when they're trying to navigate change. And it's a little bit of things I've observed through my career and I've worked and lived in many places and had different companies, but also just some of the things we need to look out for and making sure we're not falling into some of that sort of autopilot of behavior um, and changing as things change. So you can find that on Amazon or on Kindle, et cetera. So future you, I think there's a few future you books out there. So maybe future you by Francis Valentine to find the right one. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I'll put that in the show notes too. Very cool. Good luck with that. It, it sounds like an awesome book. I, um, you know, I got two last questions for you. And the first one goes like this. If you had the chance to speak at a conference of uh, teachers and school administrators about future technological advances, what is something that you would want them to know and remember from your talk? The, the most one, I mean, we, we teach more teachers than any other group. So about all my students, teachers are the one we teach the most because they are facing into a group of young people who are talking a different language and they are feeling this generational shift. So I would just say, go with it. Actually, if you harness the knowledge in the room, ask students. So don't lead from having to know all the answers, which is you know how most teachers are taught is learn the answer, but actually harness the knowledge in the room. You'll get to discover a whole world of things that are already happening in these young people's lives, regardless if they're seven years old or 17. So that would, that would definitely be it. Find, find out the solutions in the room. Love it. I love it. Uh, so cool. Uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? I had many, many great teachers, um, but I think one in particular was a, a math teacher. I, I was going to give up maths and he somehow took me aside and said to me, I will show you how maths is like poetry. I did love poetry and, and English, and he he showed me that actually it wasn't nearly as scary and as intimidating. And, and I have to say now, I, you know, I have a, a very much a mathematical brain as well as a creative brain, and I put it down to him. So a lot of these things today, I realize the maths is the bit that would have intimidated me if I dropped maths. 
But actually, now that I understand it, and someone can sit there and talk about quantum mechanics, and while I don't understand fully, I understand the principles because I stick with, stick, stuck with maths because of one teacher who said, just hang in there with one more year, and then I'll get you to the next year. And uh, so I'm very thankful to him. That is awesome. Uh, Francis, thanks so much for talking with me today. It's been awesome. Uh, thanks so much for sharing about the Mind Lab and Tech Futures Lab. And it was great talking with you about all these technological advances, uh, this, the skills that we're all going to need. And uh, if we don't, we'll get left behind. So, uh, um, you know, you're scaring me a little bit here. It's pretty cool because I'm going, hey, I think I can do some of this stuff. So, <laughs> Awesome. Hey, Stephen, it's been so great to talk to you. And, and thanks for the opportunity. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio. Your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.